Without a ball, it's just a court. And without your spirit, it's only a game. So, together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic. The Hennessy Margarita. A squeeze of fresh lime juice and a bit of agave syrup. Topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it. And enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy. Without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, y'all? I'm Andre Iguodala with my main man, Evan Turner. We are Point Forward. So we're welcoming y'all to our inaugural two-drop Point Forward weeks, where on Fridays we dive in from the things we like outside the game of basketball. This week is um, super dope. Um, we got a chance to see this kid go viral um, as a lyricist, the topics that he breaks down, discusses, the happiness, the joy he brings to life, uh, the one and only Russell. And uh, it's funny, you know, West Coast rappers, uh, their entry to the market has been a different one, I think, historically. And I think E.T. and I uh, just kind of gravitated towards this kid, just the way he carries himself. But E.T., uh, I think I want to hear your perspective on how we chose the Russell as our inaugural on our two drop Fridays. I think, for one, obviously the Bay Area influence has something to do with it. But I think the original one was, you know, he kind of fixed our brand in the sense of, like, um, the originality. You know, he, he's walking his own path. So even his message and his music is pretty, uh, pretty you know, forward-thinking. It's not the same thing of, you know, uh, all the stuff that kind of, you know, sends a negative kindness in the message. But he's really making you, you know, think. He's really making you... Uh, you know, dissect certain topics and certain things that you're doing as part of our culture and really wondering if it's supposed to be there. Even when he told a story about, you know, when Rock Nation tried to get him to sign some BS deal. You know what I'm saying? They had the numbers in there wrong. They typed the wrong numbers in. Had the numbers in there wrong or whatever and then went back and not only saying like, it's a big deal to say no to Hove or the powers that be that represent him, but then go back and tell the community because you can like, you know, blackball yourself. And he's just like, bro, make sure y'all watch out for yourself because at the end of the day, this is the Odie Wop dude they're trying to get set up. And I think one thing that he's always done with his mission is trying to uh, you know, continue pushing narrative forward and not sell yourself short or sell out. And um, once you've, you know, once you dive into this interview, you're gonna see how uh, resourceful this dude is and how special he is and why we, you know, we definitely need him uh, you know, continue to hear his voice in the culture. Point forward. This is Andre Iguodala. This is Evan Turner. We're trying to get to the true essence of not just basketball, but life, and that means something, something, something. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. That level of understanding has been taken out of the game. Out of the game. Speaking of business, I went on NBA Unplugged with Kevin Hart, which mm-hmm. is um, 
Produced by Omaha Productions, which do the Manning cast for the NFL game. So sits in the same vein with NBA games. And uh, it was uh, Philly. Got, Philly got a nice little romping from uh, New York in Philly, the Knicks. Um, so we had, we had a good time. And we were, and I brought it up a few times. Well, not a few times. Brought it up once just to kind of like, you know, comedic relief. Obviously, when you're watching the game, yeah. you know, you're throwing different things out there. And uh but most importantly, I'm a big fan of Kevin Hart just because his work ethic. Yeah, you know? for sure. And and that can never be taken out of context. No matter no matter how many projects he does, he just works hard. This is an even another project he's doing. And so uh, Spank was there as well. So I was able to talk to Spank and I gave a quick preview of, you know, um, New Amendment Productions and the, the venture we're going into with Spank that he's doing with Lou Williams. So really looking forward to that. So we spoke up on that a little bit. Um, but, you know, you talking about your the pulse of the culture, you know, and then kind of like what's going on within our world. Uh, I think at the same time, we can have conversations on what's going on with the world in general. You know, so uh, speaking of business, you know, Kevin Hart owns a lot of his own properties, produces a lot of his own things. Uh, you know, he's getting into, you know, uh, the food world as well, owning restaurants. Um, and, and obviously what's going on in our markets uh, can give you a, a, not a gist, but you can predict how well you're going to do in certain sectors. And so, um, you know, reading through whether it's Bloomberg or the, this Wall Street Journal or uh, Financial Times, uh, speaking on the economy, and we're a little removed. You were speaking to this the other day, which is funny. I love when you do this. You'll tell someone like, man, listen, I understand, like, I'm blessed and I'm privileged. Like, I don't know the price of a gallon of milk. But you know, <laughs> no, 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 it sounds crazy. No, I don't, either. No, no, I don't no, either. either. no, no, and I be trying to tell people because we we had a mutual friend. I'm like, look, bro, I don't to be completely honest, like I that's not me saying I don't know, but I don't pay it's not saying I don't pay attention to that, but it's where my mind is. Right. Like the same conversation we have where it's like, well, you understand, you made not everything's NBA. It's like it don't matter if everything's NBA, Brad. Like, like if niggas, like I said, if niggas is was getting billion dollars or in a 1% for stomping grapes. I'd be that nigga stomping grapes. <laughs> and then so on and so forth. Like, yeah, it's nothing to do with being like, this is a one-trick pony. Like, no, it's a lifetime pony, fuck nigga. And we'd be going back and forth having this conversation, arguing over pennies. No, I do not want to know a part in respect to everybody. I'm talking about my mentality. Like, right. if I'm trying to stay in a penthouse, I don't want to know apartment problems. And it has nothing to do with me thinking I'm better than anybody. It's legit where your mind is. When we're talking about a bunch of bullshit that means nothing. It's like, no, bro, I don't want to hear about rent to own. That's not where my mind is. I'm not wrong for saying that. RTO. That was the show we watched on HBO. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Southside. Southside. So speaking of that, uh, the likelihood for a recession in America has been reduced to 15%. There's been a lot of talk the last year and a half. Uh, you know, there was a massive tech bubble coming out of the pandemic with a lot of the PPP loans being thrown back into uh, the markets. You know, crypto went to a crazy winter. Uh, Bitcoin has jumped back a little bit. Uh, Coinbase had a hell of a run last year. A lot of the tech stocks did really well last year. The chip stocks were just phenomenal. And uh, the soft landing is what they called it. And I think what the soft landing is when you had to, ri you had to raise interest rates and to what I wanted to do was get the exact definition of recession because you hear recession and it's just like, what does it really mean? And so recession is a period of temporary economic decline during which trade and industrial activity are reduced 
generally identified by a fall in GDP in two successive quarters. And so what I gather from it is, is more demand than the supply can keep up with. And so people are spending and spending and spending, taking loans, taking loans, taking loans, we're printing too much money. Uh, you know, our deficit is growing and growing and growing. And then, you, you know, I'm, I'm just going to stick to dribbling because I'm not verbally equipped to explain how wars influence recessions and getting out of recessions. But we're in two right now and tens of billions are going into other economies. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about how the drone stocks have been affected from that perspective as well at some point. But And, and also, too, uh, labor demands have, like, picked up as well, too. People so going back to work. And yeah. inflations have kind of dropped. So now when it's coming down to it, like, that's what's allowed the fear of recession to fade. Because even throughout all this headache and everything, labor demands are mm -hmm. continuously able to pick up. Correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. No, no, it's, 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 it's right. And I'm not an expert in it as well. I'm still learning. But at the same time, when you go through um, election years, there's always a lot of, there's plenty of randomness that goes with markets as well. And just to remind everybody that I'm not a financial advisor, so I am not held liable for y'all financial decisions. The whole disclaimer, there you go. This is actually coming from an article of Goldman Sachs, so blame them. Point forward. So I've been seeing a lot of Nike commercials with Kobe. Um, mixed feelings, because I love Kobe. And, uh, but I think, they, I hope they do the line right. You know, um, a lot of folks involved to get that thing back on the right track. Uh, you know, there's talks of Kobe, we wanted to leave Nike before he left, uh, but you know, they got things in order and it is, it seems like this, he's going to have a Jordan type, Jordan S type run, which is super dope. But another guy who had a Jordan S type run with Nike, Tiger Woods, officially leaving Nike as of yeah. Monday, January 8th. And so I'm, I'm really um, excited to see how he moves forward and how Nike moves forward. What he's done for Nike uh, in terms of the golf division, I think there's a, you know billions of dollars coming from the golf, uh, yeah. from the golf sport now as opposed to just you know tens of millions uh, 27 years ago when Tiger uh, first took over the PGA Tour. And so, um, well, he being, signed his last deal in 2013 for 200 million. So, I mean, that was 2013, right. so. And then Nike also left the golf equipment space. People, I think people need to understand what that means, what that meant. And it's more so margins. And so when you're a publicly traded company, you have shareholders, uh, you know, fiduciary responsibility to getting a certain type of returns. And if it, you know, it's like, uh, it's like the, the, the cold, it's like the startup problem, you know, um, what do they call it? The innovator's dilemma. Do you start a small company within your company? And do you take time away from your big company that's publicly traded? Or do you start a whole entire other entity on the side? Uh, and so it's away from you know, public scrutiny. And uh, so Nike decided, decided to step away from golf uh, on the equipment side. And so with Tiger leaving, I think it opens up a lot of opportunities in this golf space. But golf is an interesting, interesting uh, spot right now with live i think i don't know my personal opinion i think golf's in a little bit of trouble until they figure out how to come together uh with live and the pga i do think people want to see the best at one particular thing in one place as opposed to being fragmented and spread out i think that's why our, our men's soccer situation in america um so we'll we'll see what happens there but i know uh, jason day he lives in columbus as well 
which is ironic because it's cold there. But he just did a dope uh, apparel deal with uh, Malbone Golf. So he was the first ambassador for uh, it's one of the it's like the supreme of golf brands. Yeah, no, they're doing do some dope stuff. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they did the Steve uh, They did the uh, Chief Keith collab, the Glory Boys collab. They did, uh, <laughs> yeah. they did the um, the Wiz Khalifa collab. So I, that's yep. a lot of stuff. To be honest with you, I know I don't hit the golf course that much, but I do. When I do cop gear besides Eastside Golf, I do do that because they are part of the culture. It is kind of crazy. You do the Chief Keith collab, bro. You really trying to? I feel seen, dog. Straight up. <laughs> um, with Tiger, what do you think happens from here? Uh, I think I think he has a deal in place already. To be quite honest, like he's always working ahead to be prepared when he's going to, you know, move uh, from one space to the other. I think for the sake of who he is, even when you saw like Nike do the, the release and they were talking about, you know, we had 27 years of partnering with one of the greatest athletes ever. And when you bring up Tiger, that's the furthest thing you would think of in this day and age, probably before like the scandal somebody uh, him cheating on his wife or obviously the accent or whatever or whatever it is i mean shit like it is what it is but when we're sitting there it's like man he's still one of the greatest athletes ever and and, yeah. and i think the same way i felt like kobe was trying to leave nike to kind of take his own brand and what he built and kind of push it the way he viewed it i hope tiger he has enough money enough resources in order to do so I think right. whatever, uh, whoever he joins, I want them to, you know, kind of, you know, honor the legacy and greatness of what he is and how he kept the whole sport. He owned Sundays. Like, you know what I mean? Like he, he was like Tiger Woods. When we sit there, you almost make it seem like it was some dude carrying a caddy or carrying a bag. I just want to make sure that that history doesn't get lost because he's made a lot of jumps and leaps in order to protect the PGA because he could have left. He could have left for uh um what is it? Five hundred. Uh, yeah, yeah, for live golf for like a billion or something like that. Yeah. And you know, moving on so so I just want to make sure when it comes down to it, they're they're investing the right type of energy into to you know the greatest, a top five great athlete of all time. And, and that can't question. get lost in the sauce. You can't it's erase it like the African American history in Florida. <laughs> true true story. Now tough question. It ain't. So ask me. Tiger never really had that apparel swag. It was more so we adopted his color more so than his, you know, the way he wore his uniform. You know what I'm saying? Like MJ, we wore the baggy jeans. I mean, MJ, we wore the baggy shorts. Like, you know, we wore the leg sleeve. We did everything MJ did. You know, yeah. guys wearing suits to the games. But Tiger's like, I'm, I'm not wearing my clothes like him, but I'll adopt his red and black look on Sundays. I, yeah, but I dig you, but how can you swag out golf, my nigga? Like, Ricky Fowler's the swaggiest ever. He got that dumbass duck bill hat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, it's supposed but I'll give, I got to, like, right now I have on a uh, golf top because it was cold, right? And this is, this is RLX. Like, RLX got the smoothest, sleekest golf apparel that you can find. Like, you got guys on tour that have crazy swag to them. Like, yeah. Rory is an athlete, so he when he the way he dresses as a golfer, he looks like an athlete. Most of the Nike guys do, and but it's totally different from how Tiger dresses. You got the uh, the Ralph the Ralph Lauren Polo guys. You know they have dope looks. You know Grayson, shout out to Larry Fitzgerald. You know um, yeah, well, he's, he's part I, of that camp. Well, he, I mean, he's, he's an investor. He's Russell Wilson, bro. It's dry toast. <laughs> no, he's not. 
What you? <laughs> I'm just saying it's dry. Not, to, the only thing I can no, say is like Grayson. Grayson. Grayson Golf is cold, and it's it's a few brands. Like golf, you can go preppy, or you can go Malbone Golf, which is like a, a um, you know, like a streetwear vibe to it. And you, you can't forget Eastside Golf. You know, we're getting into the they're getting into the game as well. Yeah, but to swag it out, you gotta be outside, bro. Tiger wasn't really outside, I and mean, he went outside. Everybody found out. The fuck. Yeah, I do not expect to get nothing besides golfing off Tiger and a mentality. But I did. Right. So, so I'm saying from a, a, a brand standpoint, say you're a brand, like how would you incorporate Tiger Woods being that, you know, is, is more of a icon, a icon thing as opposed to like influencer and you telling us what to I'm wear so, and how to wear it? I'm sorry that they never the same way because you know, Serena was always kind of somewhat fashion forward, but the same way they did the Virgil off white for Serena. I, that would have been a great opportunity to get the culture involved in golf if they would have did something with Tiger. Yeah, but Ty, but Serena leaned into that though. Like she, no, no, she no, no, accepted no. it. Like she embraced it. I don't see Tiger like you know how Tiger is. Like no, nah, I don't. I don't. I wear exactly what I wear. I want my wingtips. Yeah. You know, yeah, I want my man. pleated pants. You know, he won't even wear a collar shirt. He's like, I hate collars. I hate buttons. He wear mock necks, and so he just, you know, he is who he is. That's tough. Um, man, that's just shit. yawned on me, my G. Crazy. My, no, my fault, G. I'm not because you boring. I literally, I was sitting there because I just yawned. But what I'm thinking about is shit. We talking about Tiger? That nigga made me tired. <laughs> exactly my point. Yeah, like, how right. would you incorporate? How would you incorporate? Tiger, if you're a brand and he just leaves Nike, so you think it's a good split for Nike or you think they should have just honored him to the end? You know, that's what I'm asking, I guess. I, I just, if they really wanted to put money towards building a brand, I mean, I don't, Nike always tries to finesse, like, take all the greatest from that sport. So I don't see why they want it. But I think how you incorporate, man, it's hard to incorporate that nigga, man. Now I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want to do nothing, it ain't like you ask them to come up with, with the shit. Like, if you don't want to do anything, I just think you just got to put a certain- I, I, I'm not saying he doesn't want to do anything. He just can't move forward with the time. Because we talk about guys like Walt Frazier, right? And it's no knock. Or even MJ with his baggy pants. Like, I feel like there's a psychology too, and somebody should do a study on this. There's a psychology G2- Guys not moving outside their golden years. And that's what everything, that's what, how they eat. That's, that's real. What, you know, that's real. like how that's they real. dress, that's you know, how they think. Like, it's like, these are my glory years and I never want to leave here. So I'm going to exist right here as the, and I'll never let go. I'm holding on to this rope. All right. Then he just got to do what Jack Nicholas do. So basically, Jack Nicholas brands golf courses. Maybe you go into a crazy way of, uh, you know, coaching. He's coaching his son right now. You understand what I'm saying? I think there's an outlet to get on, like, when McGregor was at his quickest, the McGregor fast system or be like or the TV 12 situation. I think there's certain ways where it's a lifestyle, just like Mamba mentality, where it comes off like the stuff that Kobe's doing, nobody would tell any kid to do to this day. But since it's stuck in that Mamba mentality situation, I believe it's accepted through, you know, the livelihood. I think Tiger needs to build something the same way where. We adapted to wearing his red polos. I think he might need to build like a culture legacy or IMG Academy or whatever, where he's teaching. You're coming to go get the gospel from him. He's putting the right people in the rooms to be successful because his hitting coaches want the goats, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple of them. All of them yeah, want to be yeah, the goat. Or, or Tiger, whoever. Tigers changed his swing on purpose one time to prove that the goat 
swing coach wasn't a ghost swing coach. It was the craziest thing ever. Oh, and, and my point exactly. So you're sitting there. I feel like he has to organically get out the way of uh, whatever the media wants to brand him as and start working from the grassroots and continue to rebuild his legacy and tell his own story. Because True. all you're going to ever I, hear is a car think, crash and, and, and him, you know, the... You know, the, the fun, the, the, yeah, fun, the fun, the fun, yeah, 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 the call, yeah. the fun, but some, some, somebody just get a great point. Shout out to patience. He can't, he could leverage the lifestyle of branding and clothing, which he may not be, a, it might not be a priority to him. He just passes to Charlie. No, and, and, son, and, who and that's what, and that's what I'm saying too. And like, like I said, should Charlie, he could have tried to get Charlie to be signed in Nike, but I think. These kids nowadays, man, are so in tune and so hip. I think, you know, you just pretty much build a killer in the same way that his dad viewed him as like, I'm going to make the best golfer ever. It's like, I'm going to make the most complete marketing individual of all time. Like, you know what I mean? On the field, off the field. The game is open. And, you know, make Charlie a killer. There it is. Um, so there's so many directions that you can still go. And I guess you just got to push the envelope within the confines of the rules. And I think that's what was so dope about, you know, Off-White and Virgil. Virgil was like, all right, I'm going to keep it the same, but I'm going to throw my twist on it. You know, Brooks Kepka actually wore some uh, Off-Whites, some Air Max Off-Whites, and he just put a golf bottom at the bottom of the shoe. Oh, he, switched, he swapped the sole, soles on them. And somebody was like, why do you have a, uh, what's on the I mean, Off-White shoes? Yeah, those little stick tags. Yeah, the tag. Oh, I A little plastic tag. Right. Brooks Kepka had that on the shoes playing. And somebody was like, "What? why are you wearing it on your shoes? And he was like, bro, it's called fashion. Like, y'all so far behind. Y'all won't catch up with the times. Like, bring your ass on. That's like when, uh, you know, I never, I always joke, I never owned a pair of Crocs. But I would wear the phones. So, like, one thing I always say when people are like, what are those? Like, you know, I used to always say it's a black man's answer to Crocs. Like, the easy <laughs> phone prop. And everybody would just shut oh. the hell up. And everybody just shut up. They'd be like, what are those? I'm like, the black man's answer to Crocs. And then they think about I don't, it. Like, I, don't, oh. I never liked Crocs for some reason. But, no, I, but I did like the easy, I like the easy phones though. No, I mean, at the end of the day, bro, anything you just throw your foot in and run outside real quick is is clutch. Like, you know what I mean? Why do you now, think I like the why I like the Jordan 4 so much? You just slide what's them bitches What's Stacy say? Stacy said, uh, this is worth $25,000, me putting this on here. I wear Birkenstocks around all the time. I guess I'm just... <laughs> Finding myself. Those those are Dior Birkenstocks. Show the bottoms. No, they're not Dior. They're just regular, however much they cost off the website in my size. I, okay. I, I have that size problem, so I can't. I don't get dope collabs. I just get whatever size they decide to make a lasting. I feel it. So if you call Berkey, and you have to really be committed, if you wanted like ten or twelve pair, I feel like they would throw you ten or pair, twelve pair per year. So I'm gonna clip this up and I'm gonna send it to them. Because I'll be looking. I need some black leather ones. Like leather, leather, black ones. Just the way I saw. Uh, just the way I showed. Them the ones I'm looking for. A lot of chefs wear them. Uh, I think I might have saw them on The Bear, maybe. The show The, the Bear. The cooking show? The bear, Man, that, the, bear, the Bear's coat. Yeah, they just won a couple of Emmys. What was it? Golden Globes or whatever the other day? Yeah, whatever came on. I did not see not one of my kind on that show in any of the recaps. And so I, I didn't miss anything. Point. Forward. ESPN and NCAA has reached the eight-year, $920 million deal. Uh, it, it's mainly, and this is what I found, a big portion of that is from the women's basketball side of things. Women's, yep. baske women's college basketball has blown the men's out of the water uh, the last few years of the tournament. We've seen 
you know, audiences that we've never seen before. They keep breaking records every year. Shout out to Caitlin Clark. Shout out to women, uh, Angel Reese. Shout out to the girls at LSU, the girls yes. at Ohio State. You got yes. you know, Notre Dame, South UConn, Page. Yep. Yes, yep. South Carolina. Oh, sorry about Stanford. that. We're looking for you, Don. Stanford. Tara yeah. Vanderveer just got her 1,200 victory, and she is enclosing on Coach K. Word? Yeah, yeah. I was just watching um, the game the other day. Bro, yeah. and, and people be hating on her, G, but Kim Mulkey is so wavy from Bay, uh, from uh, LSU, the LSU coach. They had dressed oh, yeah, like yeah, 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 they yeah. had dressed like yeah. Kim Mulkey night the other night, bro. It was so oh, wow. lazy. People forget to be popping in America out of Baton Rouge. You gotta really have that bitch cracking, G. Like you know what I mean? Yeah, it's cracking like, in Baton Rouge though. No, I dig you, but I'm just saying, like, out of how many things can you like to be cracking more than New Orleans? Like you understand what I'm saying? Like literally, yeah. bro. Like it's it's a thing. Like they're sold out there. It's Kim Mulkey night. Like. The, the Bayou Barbie. Well, you know what I mean? They flowing. It's, it's lit out there, G. And women are just doing big things. We talk about the deal that the NCAA did with ESPN. Uh, it's an upgrade from the old deal. The old deal is 14 years, 40 million. Think about that. So an increase of more than 300%. Uh, the agreement will provide more exposure and revenue to women's sports, most importantly. Uh, the deal also covers 21 women's and 19 men's sports. Uh, they got tennis. I don't know how I feel about that. Track and field, I love. Men's gymnastic, dope. Women's division two and three volleyball, dope. Shout out to Asia, O'Neal, Texas Longhorns, women winning the uh, NCAA Women's Volleyball Tournament uh, again this year uh, after all she's been through. She's been through a couple of heart surgeries and uh, got to know that family, getting to know uh, Jermaine O'Neal when he played here in the, in the Bay. So also too, Dre, we keep forgetting she was drafted number one to the Columbus Fury. So she'll be playing a block and a Down half outside. Yeah. So you'll have to connect with Jermaine O'Neal. You know what I mean? We'll get you yeah, out we there definitely on some golf courses. Last time you went to Mirrorfield, you did not perform the way you wanted to perform. But we'll take you back out there, okay? I'm looking forward to it. All right. Let's get up out of here. Hide your money, y'all. Point forward uh welcome to another episode of point forward the podcast myself andre gadala thank you my brother evan turner uh we are recording from san francisco so no bras on stage no hats let's keep it let's keep it classy all right <laughs> uh, with that being said um about through Soho House and the Soho Papa, which is a beautiful space. Uh, we wanted to bring uh, a Bay Area native up here today. Um, this guy is a genius, uh, more than just a musician, uh, but he is known as a musician. Um, he is the, the first time I recognized him uh, was through social media and he was breaking down uh, the ills of the music industry and the deals that are signed. And uh, I felt like the, the bravery in which he expressed himself, but it was expressed so eloquently. Um, and it was not towards someone, but towards like one of our idols and someone we look up to and that label in terms of how it went down and it kind of spread virally, but from a educational standpoint in terms of you gotta listen up and you gotta understand what you're signing and don't just sign something because it might get you out of a situation temporarily, like knowing your plan for the next 10, 15, 20 years. And it was just so beautiful and I've been a fan of his ever since. Um, so welcome to the stage, the Russell. Yes, sir. 
Yeah. And with that being said, I'm on my, I'm, I'm on, what do you say? I'm just on I'm my, on hustle. my hustle. I'm here with Lil Russell. And he's a very comfortable individual, as you can see. First and foremost, welcome to Point Forward. Appreciate, Appreciate you showing love. You've been, you've been doing your rounds. You've been everywhere. Yeah. Love the. We always got to show love. It's never competition, but uh, uh, all the smoke, you were there. It was beautiful. You performed afterwards. Uh, that was cool to see uh, Stack Jack and Mark, Matt Barnes. Also, too, I mean, we definitely love you. We always love the, you know, the, the honesty that you brought. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in the rap game and what made you want to be or, you know, take the brand of La Russell from like a, you know, backyard idea into a whole brand. Uh, a lot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, man, I started off early. I was writing like poetry and, and uh kinda noting my ideas and my thoughts early. Um, but I remember when I was probably about nine or ten, me and my sister used to have like this boom box mm -hmm. and we used to burn instrumentals and just rap over them. And at the time it was an early start for me. I was just having fun and my sister was really like rapping, right? And I remember rapping it in the kitchen for my mom and my cousin, and just that feeling was like, hmm, right? I like that, but I didn't even tend to it much after. I kind of kept just going and living life. I started producing in like the eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade, making beats, you know, and I was making beats for all the homies at school and high school, selling them, and then eventually I started rapping over them. And in high school, I had a battle rap. One of my best friends had set it up just, randomly just talking to someone like, you can't rap better than him. Right. And I was just on the side like, hold on, you know, and we end up doing that. And it just, the whole school found out about it. It just had a viral moment early before like right. virality. It was viral around the school. And from there it was just constant going, going, going. And um, I haven't really stopped since. That's what's, It's like uh, Chicago has that vibe. And, and Evan, you would talk about it a lot in terms of like who would be the best in the city. And we were talking about last night, like you you had some amazing matches matchups with Derrick Rose oh, yeah, yeah, in back high in school. Day, yeah, yeah. Right. And so um no share that with us because that was it was a beautiful story. Like the first time you played against them and then you know they put y'all out to go to state tournament. Like like what was that matchup like? Because I was asking like what was Derrick Rose like in high school? Cause he was like a superstar. <laughs> He's already like a man amongst boys. And um obviously we don't go down memory lane but those matchups and not like just being yourself, but seeing like a star in the making was pretty crazy. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, I guess the benefit of um, being part of that was kind of measuring up your your skill set and you know your mentality and comprehending like, yo, this is a a great player. And then you know you you have your own aspirations to make the right steps to try to make it to the NBA. So you know playing versus him and having success versus him was super cool. And you know it gave me confidence, but. You know, to see this, the journey from, you know, a little D Rose to what he is now is, uh, it was a beautiful story. So you have a similar journey that you're still writing. So um, to begin that, who were some people that inspired you to rap? Was it like your parents? Was it E-40? Was it uh, the hyphy movement? Like, did man, you my sister. Like, <laughs> my sister was yeah. one who inspired me to first start like yeah. rapping over a beat. But I mean, of course, Tupac and, and 40 and, and Hove, everything. I grew up in like a music family, so my pops and moms were just music all day. Yeah. From, from going to school, coming home, cleaning up in the morning, everything had a soundtrack to it. Mm -hmm. So with saying that, 
um, and then growing up in the Bay, um, and then us being, you know, athletes, were there, were there ever moments where, you know, because you talk a lot about inspirational things, you know, like how to come out of your trials and tribulations, pre and post what we call success. Right. Um, and athletes deal with that. Well, was there, was, did you play any sports growing up or was music your competition? I mean, I played everything just in a neighborhood on the block. So uh -huh. not, nothing organized, right. but everything. Gotcha. So you, were, so you were just embedded in music at a young age because I think that's beautiful because we're losing the art of arts. Right. You know, especially with the public school and the funding being taken away and the first thing that gets stripped away is the arts. Right. You know, um, and I know you say you were in a music family, but what was it, you know, like we talk about like therapy, like we don't do therapy as much, especially growing up. Now it's becoming a common theme, but what inspired you to put something down on paper, like poetry, like, you know, I thought it was really cool, but it, it, it wasn't cool to other people, right. you know? So what made you get over that that's not cool? Because most of the time, the fear of not being cool as a kid keeps us away from what could possibly be our ultimate talent. Uh, man, life, I just enjoyed it. Um, and when you're super passionate about something, it don't really matter how cool it is externally because it kind of fulfills you. So for me, it was just life that, that really got me there. And I still had my impressionable phase where I was trying to be cool and fit in, but music was always in the back of that. And um, also it got to a point where the music made me cool. Like after you battle rap and you win, you cool. So <laughs> it becomes trendy at that point. So at that point, we talked about the music and you did it all for fun and you're super impressionable. But one thing you haven't done is sign to a major label. So at what point did you find your identity or the confidence to, you know, be rebellious in that sense and, you know, get it out the mud. You literally do all your performances, everything with your company, company yep. out your backyard and under a pergola. So, like, tell me where that came from, the, excuse my language, but the fuck it factor where you like, bro, I'm just going to get it out the mud. Right. I like, mean, uh, early we just didn't have the resource or the... Yeah access no one was trying to sign me right no one was interested in the kid from the like you going crazy because so, i'm by myself <laughs> with that we just had to build everything and after you build everything yourself um it's very hard for someone to come in and say well i could do this this and that without showing you or proving it to you because you're like well i did that already you know you have to you have to bring a little bit more to the table and i start reading business books early and everything because i had to i didn't have i couldn't afford a lawyer i didn't i didn't have any of the resources that i needed to navigate the world that i was going into and i was helping a lot of other artists and people break through with their art so i needed to learn things beyond being an artist just to help them navigate their career and get through as well. So, so what does the word leverage mean to you? And I'm saying, I'm asking you this question because athletes go through this. Mm. You know, we have what they call the draft and there's so many, there's so many things that come with the word draft right. as a black athlete, you know, and you never want to take it there, but there, there are some traumas that come with that word and you, 
really can't decide where you go earlier on. It's a part of the system, part of the game. And then the way that the NBA and the players union is set up, there's a collective bargaining agreement and you, you're a part of the union. You know, it's, you know, the same issues that came up with Uber and uh, are you a, you know, third party contractor? You know, do you get certain uh, privileges? Do you get certain things that come with that? Do you get insurance? Do you get certain rights that come with that? And so I feel like you're in a very unique space, but like I've been through it, you know, and I had to tiptoe around this conversation. You know, I was drafted to, a, I was traded to a team, the Memphis Grizzlies, and I decided it was in my best interest to not go. And everyone thought I was crazy. And I still get hate mail to this day. Like, I had rappers on Twitter saying they don't mess with me anyway. Or it'd be like, <laughs> you better be careful when you come around the, come around the town. I'm just like, do you not understand? This what, is a business. What made you decide not to go? Well, it's twofold. First thing that happened, I've explained this a million times, but the way our social media is set up and controlled, they'll, they'll drown out the real message. You know, and I've explained this a million times where I was traded somewhere and this was like July 4th it happened. The team actually told me, well, we're going to trade you somewhere else. And, you know, uh, you're later in the stage of your career, so we're going to respect you and let you decide where you want to go. Hmm. And we needed to make this trade happen for other assets. But as time went on, they were dragging their feet, and my name was starting to buzz. And so what they did, like anyone else would do, they tried to leverage my name to get a better deal. And before you know it, the season's about to start. I'm saying, hey, I've been training to go to this place or this place, like, let me move on with my life and my career. I only got a couple years left. And they said, well, we're not quite ready yet. We might need you to come in. This is after they told me I didn't have to come in. And so when that happened, I'm telling them, like, listen, like, you got two weeks to get this done because you're really a month behind or I'm not showing up because we came to an agreement verbally that this was the situation. What they did is change the narrative and put it out like I didn't want to go. And so now we're battling and fighting. So now what they start doing was they will shit me, try to trade me to any team. But I know I have all my contacts. I do my homework like you do. Right. I went to reading. If you try to trade me somewhere I don't want to go, I'm going to call that team and say, that's not a good fit for me. I'm, I know my leverage. I'm 16 years in. I don't have to play basketball anymore. It's just like you see artists, they just stop making music. Like Prince right. did for a second. Like, all right, I just, I'll just... Collect, I'll keep my catalog here and I'll put it out whenever I feel like it. Yeah, an emphasis on that leverage because uh, when you break it down, we have an identical story. Like I got traded to Minnesota and I didn't report and I ended up retiring. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, so, so when you break it down, say, like, no, I'm not gonna go there. And like, you gotta know your leverage because at the end of the day, you might walk out the door with nowhere to go. You know so, what I'm saying? Right, so my question would be was like, what does leverage mean to you? Because early on in my career, like I tell young guys like, don't do what I did unless you're prepared to handle or deal with the consequences that come with your decision. Mm. And so for you, how did you realize, like, no, my leverage is I can actually build it myself? Like, where did that come from? Man, I had to learn it through the process because uh, my first time getting a deal, I wanted a million dollars, right? Because you just think. You worth a million dollars for some reason, with or without leverage. But I had to learn that leverage is like leverage is like a scale, right? And on each side, there's weights. And if you bring more to the table, your side is a little bit lower. Meaning whoever is on this side that you're leveraging with has to bring a lot more to make it even, or they either got to bring a lot less. You know, so to me, I look at it like that all the time. If I'm bringing substantially more to the table, 
you're not, and my leverage is still weighing down this side more than you're offering, then that tells me everything I need to know, mm -hmm. right? I have more bargaining power, more to gain from this situation, or less to benefit than you may because you don't have to bring as much. So, but that was something I really had to learn through the process. When, you, when you're asking someone, well, I want this, you have to prove why you're worthy of that. And, and how many deals did you look through when you started to realize, like, a major record deal isn't for me. Like, how many deals did you look over? Yeah. And what was the worst? Like, hell no. And what was one where you're like, eh, I might, I might switch up the game for you? Huh. I think the worst, I got offered a deal for $10,000 to do five projects. And, and if you know the span of music, five hours, y'all are laughing at it, right? But they didn't. They didn't laugh at all. They thought it was, that was a serious... I was, and I laughed. But how you put out projects is low key. You'll put out 20 right? projects in like a week. So right? Low key. But they didn't know that. This was before I was even on that kind of run. You know, like they just were really trying to see what I was willing to give in exchange for that little bit of capital. You know, um, so that was one of the worst. And shout out them because it put a battery in my back. It was like, I'm a shit on you. You know, that was my energy. Yeah. And, um, Probably in the span of that, from late 2021 till now, a lot, a lot. And it's been all different kinds. I've also learned like there's things beyond record deals that we've mm -hmm. been able to do, brand partnerships and different kind of deals. So we've been doing dealings with people. We found things that align and people that do understand what we're building. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, did I read something that you did something with Russ? Yeah. And so how? Uh, is that the Demion? Uh, yeah. Demion, right? So yeah. Vidya is, is powered through it, but uh, Russ has a company called Diamond. Diamond. And Russ was early. So he uh, offered me a deal that was, he basically called me and was like, man, I really want to support you. What kind of deal works for you? And he let me set the framework of the entire deal early. And we've just been building since. And what's dope is I was able to do that deal I still haven't even delivered that, that term because he was like, bro, just go. Build whatever you want to build. I had did that deal when I was probably at like 50 or 40,000 followers. And I told Russ, I was like, I'm going to get to a million first, and then I'm going to deliver this so you just win out the gate. And I've honored my end on that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I've been reading a ton of, you know, I'm in the tech space. I do a lot of investing. So... I've been reading a lot about, you know, like TikTok. And TikTok's heavily embedded in the music space right now. Like, they mm. just did a deal with Warner Music Group, I believe, not too long ago. And, you know, and, and then you see AI as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you on the Warner Music Brother with TikTok first. You know, how can, or how is the new generation using social media to, you know, set their careers up? But at the same time, is, there's gifts and curse behind it because you'll see someone with one hit song and you know you're seeing more people with one hits and then disappearing right um, like how do you find folks with substantial music that can stand the test of time and build multiple projects um i don't think the platform matters much when you're building something real you know when it's something real you could be in an elevator and you hear it and you're like that's it right the platform doesn't matter as much but um a lot of things now 
are becoming less about the art, mm -hmm. right? Everyone's trying to prove themselves or overshow themselves and things like that. And I've built social media in a way that's really genuine to me. Like um, our approach is the same across, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. I post the things that I love, that I really enjoyed, that made me smile or made me feel something, and I share it wherever, whatever platform is available to share that on. But I noticed like the industry, you know, there was like a dancing trend on TikTok. And a lot of artists and other entrepreneurs thought they had to do those trends to be relevant on TikTok, and you don't. You just have to do what you're great at, right? It's like, if I go on TikTok for Stephen Curry, I want to see him shoot. I don't want to see him dance. But we often get, we, for real, but we often get lost in that. We think we have to do what everyone else is doing, but you just have to find something you're great at and, and hone in on that. For sure. So when it comes down to it, you talk about everything being real. and You put out so many projects. How are you able to you know, recycle the energy and keep coming out with something that's authentic and true to you? Like, Where do you find that vulnerability at? Because a lot of your songs go super deep. And sometimes I'm like, damn, like he's putting out so many projects. Like, yeah. how are you, like the complexity of it all is pretty crazy. So how do you continue to do so? Man, life, I be growing fast. We be moving so fast and doing so much. And that's the thing, when you're making authentic music, you always have something to talk about. Like, I'll probably leave here and I'm gonna be like, I was just on point four in the next song, you know? So as long as life is giving you things to I talk hope so. about. Yeah, well, make sure you shout, <laughs> shout me out too. Don't do that, the, the Dre and the homie shit they like to do. <laughs> but no, that's, that's like the beautiful part about making authentic music because whatever is taking place in my life is what I'm talking about. Whatever I'm feeling emotionally is what I'm talking about. And that's always changing. So let, I want to do some uh, pergola talk. Like when you first did it, what was the mindset? Like what was people's, your family's eyes when it was like, yo, I'm going uh, to start everything here in the backyard. I'm going to have a bunch of people that don't know, <laughs> we don't know, pull up and <laughs> support the homies. Like what was the first real time where you put that out and then follow up? When did you know it actually worked? Like shit, this is. Man, that literally was a thought one day and I made a phone call and the next day we was lifting up dirt in the backyard. So it wasn't, it wasn't enough time for anyone to be like, I don't know about this. And that's how I am with all my ideas. Like I think it and I'm like, let's execute so we don't have to, because if I would have sat and talked myself, gave me, thought about all the reasons why it wouldn't work or how I couldn't, I would have talked myself out of it. Yeah. So I went straight into execution and, um, Man, we're on like our eighth show in two years and every single one has been sold out. So it was it proved itself to be a great idea. How many people fit back there? About two fifty. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah, no, it's real intimate and that's it's chill bad. and so, I've been trying I'm trying to pull up so bad I I'm gonna get there. Cap. No, there's no trying, no. just doing. <laughs> my, my my son is here and he can attest like this is like my fifth day in the bay this summer. Like the last 50 days I've been here for five days. Right. Like, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm like, I'm on this crazy run and I, man, how long I've been walking around talking about something? I'm just on my hustle. I hear me a little hustle. <laughs> I told you that. I'm like, man, right. I'm saying that every right. single day. Yeah, we were just flying back from Spain and literally the Europeans were just hearing Andre just be like, just out here on my hustle with LaRue. Like, and they're looking at him like, crazy. Like, are you Andre? <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I guess it's like, <laughs> no, but, um, I don't want to forget about this because you are giving a lot of game and like financial 
knowledge and shout out to uh, Earn Your Leisure. Like they're doing some amazing things with just uh, expressing like financial literacy, the different markets, how you can be involved, uh, even if you're on Robinhood, even if you're on Cash App, um, you know, Coinbase, wherever you're at. Um, they're giving out so much financial knowledge and you've been talking about tax incentives. And that's always been an issue for athletes and entertainers for whatever reasons. You know, like uh, entertainers, y'all get all your money and then you forget to send Sam, Uncle Sam is 50%. And I think our community has, a, has the difficulty in understanding what uh, tax incentives are and like what does it actually mean. So when you set up good company and you say you get write-offs, in the easiest ways to explain it, like how do you explain like this is a business and this is how I write things off? Because for some reason we think that if you write something off, the government is writing you a check back. <laughs> that that is the biggest issue with tax write-offs. Right. Like you know where we come from, it's like I can't wait to get my tax check. Right. But I'm trying to explain away. to people like we don't get. Tax, tax returns. It right. doesn't work like that. And so, but I do think we have to take advantage of these incentives to set up our own businesses. Mm. So we uh, transact with one another in our community. And when you do that, the community builds. And that's ultimately what group economics are, which right. I wore on the back of my jersey in the bubble when we were, you know, the George Floyd moment was happening. And we right. were, you know, talking about how we were coming together as a community. And, you know, we're still a ways away with all the firings. Um, with some of these large corporations and their uh, ESG initiatives. Um, we've seen how that's gone, uh, but I think it's very important for us to be more educated. So kind of talk about how you set up your company and what a real tax incentive is. Yeah, and um, I'm still learning that part as well. I, I happen to have great people that came throughout my journey. So when I started my company, I started it off as an LLC because I was looking into like, when you do marketing and all the equipment I was buying, it's like, these are for your service, for your job, so you can do what you do. Those are write-offs, so you will owe Lex taxes now that you make more money. And then I end up meeting a lawyer named Bilal later down the line, and I was telling them, like, oh, yeah, all the shows we do is donation-based. The merch is really donation-based. I don't have a set price. And he was like, you need to have a 501c3. So we got into that world, and it was like, oh, yeah. right, this makes sense. So I'm still not even super in-depth on everything, but I've just had people around me that's been able to come in and give me the clues, and, and I share the game when I can. Yeah. What are you saying? Um, with that step, the more and more you learn, you know, about the business and the game, and prior to you used to, you know, help other artists, and I believe you said in 10 years, hopefully I'm chilling under the pergola. Is this just like a chapter or a means, or are you trying to, you know what I mean, keep elevating, take it, you know, take it to the next level? Um, How long do you want to do music for, or do you see yourself bigger than just this? Because, you know, when you learn, that's where innovation comes from. Every day I just grab a shovel and I dig, and I dig, and when I'm done digging, I'm gonna look and see how big that hole is, and eventually, hopefully, we could put a swimming pool in there and build some trees around it, and you know, whatever we could do with that hole, but I don't really, um, I don't look too far forward. I kinda look in front of me, and when ideas come up, like, hey, let's transform the backyard, I act on them, and then other things come from that. I never thought from that we'd have 
10 sellout shows and a wait list of people, but once you start digging and you start creating things, you get a whole bunch of new ideas that come. So I just be I just be moving with the heart and wherever that leads me to, I'm cool with. That's what's up. Now, growing up in that bay, I got to ask this question. Um, were you a Warriors fan? Of course. Of course. Man, I used to sell bootleg Warrior tees. <laughs> <laughs> No, were you on? Was that? Is that you know, they wasn't bootleg though. They were just old. <laughs> <laughs> no. So it was like the 2016 championship T-shirts and shit. No, early like Baron Davis, Jason Richardson. Early, okay. this was when I was in middle school. I was the plug. <laughs> no, that's what's up. No, I used to drive down. I would go to the games, and I would take like the backside, what takes me on like international, right, to get to uh, Oracle Arena in yeah. Oakland, and. uh you know, that's like East, that's East Oakland. Mm-hmm. And I would pull up and see all the shirts being sold. But like where I come from, like I would see things like this, like concerts, you seeing right. the bootleggers selling the tees outside the Whitney show. Hutton. Whitney, Whitney Hutton. The Whitney Hutton t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. For nobody knows that, that's a Martin episode. Martin was selling the Whitney Hutton yeah. shirts. Man. It's Whitney Houston right, concert. Give him an autograph. He knows that, Dre. Right. Give Thank him an autograph. Bootlegging in the Bay Area is responsible for the success of so many artists and so many companies and so many infrastructures. Like everyone couldn't afford to pay $40, $50 for a tee. What people didn't understand, the people who were doing those bootlegs, it's like now you have a thousand people marketing your product who originally couldn't even afford to support you, but they love you just as much. Same with artists, like, you know, you used to be able to go to Walmart and there's people with burn CDs selling the music, but people like Tyler Perry and Kevin Hart, I remember my first time seeing a Kevin Hart stand up was on a bootleg and millions of other people had the same experience. So it's like a lot of people knock it, but it was so important to the success of a lot of these organizations. They said the bootleg man started Tubi. You believe that? (laughs) I definitely believe it. No. I mean, I, when I was younger, there was someone who was a bootleg man who had the Netflix idea before Netflix. You yeah, feel nah, me? Feel so that. it's definitely believable. There were people who were yeah. really living it. That's right. And, and I, I, was, I was speaking on the bootleggers because when I rode past, most of the time I'm, I'm work with our union. And so, you know, I understand how the CBA works to split with the NBA. You know, I want my cut on everything. You know, I understand how certain entities are set up. Like, you know, I got special heart in my place, special place in my heart for the Warriors. But I know how Chase Center is set up and the Warrior Center is set up. And, you know, we don't get certain splits on certain businesses that are in Chase, that are in, yeah, yeah, like NBA China, we don't get a piece of. Yeah, and it's 350 million people that play the game every day. In NBA Africa, we don't get a piece of, but these are big entities and we represent the NBA, you know, so I'm always saying where my cut at, just like in music. But when I was driving down the street and I saw like the bootleggers in East Oakland, I I thought it was love, like, this is kind of dope, like, I really don't care, like, get all you can get. Um, But with saying that, you know, I brought up sports because you have a line, you know, it's when you win, they don't talk about the misses. Mm-hmm. But when you lose... All they talk about is the misses. All they talk about is the misses. And so, like, that's you expressing yourself. Um, and it relates so close to us and our hearts. Um, but what, like, what were you thinking in that moment when you came up with that line? <clears throat> Man, that exactly, right? Like, 
you're especially as an athlete, but as a performer as well, you're celebrated to the point you're celebrated until you fail. You know, like a lot of fans aren't really fans of you. They're fans of what you do. And sometimes you have to make that distinction when you meet humans. Like, do you like me for the things I do or do you like me for me? And those are two separate things. But that line was just kind of touching on that, how, you know, when you're doing all the right things, everyone's excited and want to take a picture with you. But after you lose the championship, <laughs> you know, the same people don't want that picture. It's like, you know, once you're once you out the game, you no longer the top score. The same yeah. people don't want that picture. So it's important just as an artist and as an athlete to be cognizant of that. You feel me? Because it could really it could really drain you when you're not getting the same response from people you thought supported you or loved you or really messed with your movement, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that separates the, we say it separates the real from the fake, but I think what that means is people who really love what they do, they're not really concerned with what the response is. Like, I really love what I do and I'm, I'm gonna keep doing it. Regardless. Regardless of, of how the response is. And, but it gets tricky because our industries feel like they're so dependent upon, not even a consumer, but the small fan base that drives a lot of the messaging. It's like your review section is only 5% right. of the base. <laughs> and it's like, we're gonna take this 5% who's really just not real lovers of the, of the art and let them dictate how we move going forward. Like we change rules for the benefit of the consumer. And it's like, no, because before you know it, the real artists aren't gonna be playing anymore. Right. Right, it was real, bro. <laughs> but no, we appreciate you, Russell, pulling up. Amazing. Big fan of you. Hopefully, we can uh, actually pop up to Come the lay. I'm going to pull up. I don't know what he's doing, I but if I get there. invited, Come I on. will be. I live here. I'll freestyle with you and everything, G. I'll Come give you a feature. We'll, we'll we be recording that. He nah, said he's going to freestyle, right? Yeah. You're <laughs> freestyling, right? I'll give, you my best, I'll give you my best 16. I got you. Come on. I only got a one bar. I'm just on my hustle out here with the rust. And we appreciate you for coming, fam. Thanks a lot. Of course, of course. Appreciate you, Doc. Love. Without a ball, it's just a court. And without your spirit, it's only a game. So, together with the fans, we bring our best. For your next pregame, let's share a twist on a classic. The Hennessy Margarita a squeeze of fresh lime juice, and a bit of agave syrup, topped off with ice and a salted rim. Mix it, shake it, pour it, and enjoy the spirit of the NBA. Hennessy, without your spirit, it's only a game. 21 and older, please drink responsibly. <laughs>